a message and I ended up having to repent at the end of it. And uh, the reason is, is because he did this whole message about how God said to Peter, don't treat the things of God as common. And he started talking about how we sometimes treat church as common. We sometimes treat coming to church on Sunday as if we're doing God a favor, or it's a routine, or it's something that we have to do. We don't treat it common when it comes to what God does in our lives. Our salvation is not common. You know, God saved us. He's delivered us. It's something that we should celebrate. It's something that we should always be enthusiastic about. When it comes to worshiping in church, we shouldn't treat it as common. It's an opportunity to get into the kingdom of God, to get into the throne room of God and interact and have an encounter with God. We should never treat that as common when it comes to the Word of God. We should never just sit back and go, let's see if He can uh, make it happen for me today. But we should never ever treat anything that happens in the kingdom of God common. And, and I just really felt God challenged me about how many times during the week that I'm preparing a message and I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do another message and I'm getting bored. And and because if you know me, I get bored after about half an hour of, of anything. Um, it's just boring after about half an hour. And so, and I just, and I felt like God spoke to me so clearly at conference this week. He goes, don't you dare treat anything else from here on in as common. And so I want you to know this morning, I repented this week because you guys are awesome. And I don't want to treat any one of you as a common person. I want to treat you as a child, as a son, as a daughter of God, as somebody who has an incredible future ahead of you, who has great talent and great gifts and great abilities. And I would have thought by now you'd be getting excited about yourselves. But that's all right. I won't treat you as common. You can treat yourself as common. But I'll treat you as a child of God because I believe in you. And I know that we wouldn't be where we are today and we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. And our future wouldn't be as bright as it is today if it wasn't for each and every one of you and what you bring to the kingdom because of what Christ has done in you. And so thank you so much. And I'm glad some of you are excited about that. That's awesome. Okay. We've got a little bit of a quiet house this morning. That's okay. I will get you wound up by the end of it. Right. Today is part four. Oh, before we get into that, just so you know, we announced last week that we got a... um, We've got a church general meeting next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. But I'm letting you know again today that we've got a general meeting church next Sunday where we were just voting on a resolution to transfer our assets into a trust so that it's protected from anybody trying to get their hands on it. And so I'm just letting you know because legally you've got to give you two weeks notice. But let's get into the important part of the service. And it's the message. And my message today is the last one in our uh, four-part uh, four series can anybody remember what the first message was about? Awesome. I feel so, so loved this morning. I'm so glad I put all the energy. We, we talked about how God turns our if-onlys into what-ifs. That we live so much with if-onlys. If only this had happened. If only that had happened. If only I'd grown up in that house. If only I had. When we understand we're in, in Romans, first of all, chapter 8, which is the whole chapter we've been operating out of, first of all, that the Bible says this, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So any mistakes that I have made or any faults that have been on my own, those if-onlys don't need to be if-onlys because you don't need to be condemned about that. God does not condemn. God heals and He restores. And we know that because later on in Romans 8, He says, God makes all things work together for good for those who love God 
and called according to his purpose so he can take our if-only regrets and turn them into what-if incredible things where we can reach out to somebody else and go, you know what, I struggled with fear too, or I went through that too, but Jesus brought me through that. And so we can take our if-only regrets and turn them into what-if testimonies of the great things that God has for us. Then in week two, we looked at what we called as-if faith, that if, if the Bible is really true, then are we living as if it's true? You know, we shared this story about a, an actor who said that the reason why they can get congregations or people and audiences to believe what they're talking about, even though it's not true, is because they talk about the untrue as if it isn't, is true, whereas in the church sometimes we talk about the truth as if it's imaginary, as if it's a hope for, as if it's across our fingers, and I hope God comes through. And our prayers a lot of the time aren't really believing that God's going to come through. It's touch wood, Jesus will come through. Are you with me this morning? But we need to have as of faith that says that if he says it's true, then it's true. And I don't need to pray hoping I can pray knowing that he's going to come through for me because it's as of faith. And then last week we looked at what if, what if dreams, all the great things that God has called you to do, the dreams that you've had, maybe about business or whatever it may be, that when we understand that God is our high leverage point, and that means this, is that if you hop on a seesaw, you know, and somebody's, you got two people sitting on the other end, if they sit close to the, the point of leverage, then you can outweigh them if you get a high leverage to the other end. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? And so when it comes to Romans chapter 8, the high leverage point is Romans 8.31 says, what do we say to these things? In other words, all the stuff that's going on in your world that says that you can't do what God has called you to do, that you can't do the things that he says to you. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can? Come on. What a great thing that our God says to us right in the middle. Hey, all these things, all these reasons why it can't happen, what do we say to them? We say, if God is for us then who can be against us? Nobody, nothing can stand in the way. And of course, it goes on to talk about that nothing separates us from the love of God, nor height, nor depth, nor sin. Nothing separates you from God's love. How cool is that? I feel like you're a little bit dead this morning. Some of you need a revival or a, a God bomb under your backside to understand that he hasn't just saved you, he's delivered you, and then he's given you a purpose and a destiny. Come on. And so this morning, my message is called, No Ifs, Ands, or Buts About It. No Ifs, Ands, or Buts About It. And I want to share with you, starting with a quote that I read by A.W. Tozer years ago when I was a young guy, and it's probably shaped the way that I kind of follow God now to some degree. I shape the way that I think about things. And A.W. Tozer said this, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I believe that wholeheartedly. That the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God, because how you see God will dictate how you see yourselves, for starters, and how we see our future, and how we see our lives going. 
any stigmatism that we have in our view of God or in our view of how how we see him will distort our vision of everything else. Any any, Any wrong view that we have of God will distort our ability to see our futures, will distort our ability to see that he is for us. So I want to ask you a question this morning. I'm going to get you all to do this. I want you all to close your eyes. Every single person in this place, close your eyes. I know it's possible because you did it last night for about eight hours. And when you close your eyes, I'm going to ask you this question. When you think about God, what comes to mind? When you think about God, what comes to mind? Is he smiling? Is he frowning? Is he laughing? Is he warm and welcoming? Are his arms open wide? Or is he standoffish? You can all open your eyes now, but what do you see? How do you perceive him? When you think about God, what comes to mind? Is he smiling? I would say that the most predominant picture that people have when they think about God is they see Jesus on the cross. And to be honest with you, that is probably the best snapshot of God's grace towards our lives. And we certainly need a vision of the crucified Christ. We should always live in the shadow of the cross and what God has done for us. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus isn't on the cross and Jesus isn't in the tomb either. He has left the tomb empty. He has left the cross empty. So what we need is we don't need a vision of where he has been. We need to see where is Jesus right now. Are you with me this morning? Where is Jesus right now? Romans 8, 34 says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Jesus has left the cross, he's left the tomb, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father and spends his whole day interceding and praying for you. That's where he is right now. I don't know what your vision of God is. I don't know what you see when you close your eyes. Maybe you see a God that's angry. I'm here to tell you this morning, God is not angry. God sits at the right-hand side of God and prays for you, prays for your future, prays for your marriage, prays for your finances, prays for your health, prays for your children. God is, Jesus is constant. That's what he's doing right now. He is interceding for you. And the reason why I say all that is because in verse 26 of Romans 8, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So what are you saying here is not only is Jesus right now interceding for your life, but the Holy Spirit is also right now interceding for your life. You have two-thirds of the Godhead that all they do all day, every day, is pray for you, to be there for you, 
to pray for you. If that doesn't give you a godly confidence about what God has called you to do, nothing else will. I don't know about you, but there's a godly confidence that's coming to my life when I understand that when I step out and take a step of faith and take a risk, that God is praying for me, that Jesus is interceding for me, that the Holy Spirit is praying for me, that I might actually see what it is that he put in me, the dream that he gave me. In Psalm 139, before you'd even live one day, God planned out every day of your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Give you hope in the future. And when I understand that in my corner is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, praying for me. Those plans aren't impossible. They're nothing but possible. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? They're in your corner. They're on your side. God is for you. It's a divine double team. You can tag them in at any minute. They do the best body slams. There was a joke. Fucking hard this morning, aren't you, Jay? They're the divine double team, and the divine double team is our divine blessing. That you and me, every single day of our lives, not only has he saved us, not only has he delivered us, but now he spends his day praying for us, interceding for us. There's this man called Angelo Dundee, and Angelo Dundee was a corner man for Muhammad Ali. Anybody know who Muhammad Ali is? Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. He was one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of the world, and he helped not only did Angelo Dundee, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali say, help him become the heavyweight of the world, but Angelo Dundee went on from there to be a corner man for 15 more world champions. And they asked him one day, what is it like to be a corner man for a boxer? And he said this, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, an engineer, and a psychologist. When you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, you're an engineer, and you're a psychologist. I can't think of a better description of our corner man, Jesus Christ, then he's the one that's our surgeon, our engineer, and our psychologist. The guy in your corner that has got your back, the guy that is with you. Timothy says this in 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. The reality is, friend, you and I are in a fight, whether you like it or not. We are in a fight. We have an enemy. The devil, he is against us. He is not for us, and he's fighting against us, and you may have got knocked down a few times, but I want to tell you something, that each time you get knocked down, you have a corner man whose name is Jesus Christ, and he is your surgeon, and he is your engineer, and he is your psychologist, and he can get you back up and back going again. Why? Because once he himself went three rounds with death and went down to hell, but rose again three days later, the devil thought that he was knocked out but he was only knocked down and he got out three days later and he won the victory he is your corner man the one who defeated death the one who defeated sin the one who took the keys of life and death for you and for me and took them back that is your corner man he is with you he is not he is not against you he got knocked down on the cross but he got back up again when god raised him from the dead and he walked out of the tomb and he is not on the cross and he is not in the tomb where is he today 
He is praying for you. He is your corner man. He is in your corner, interceding, praying at the right hand of God, interceding for you, and he is in your corner. And guess what? He is not alone in your corner because John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete to help you and to be with you forever. You're like, what's paraclete? Well, usually most of your Bibles will say counselor or comforter or advocate. I'm just going to steal somebody for a moment. Who can I steal for a moment? For Remember, I'm going to steal you for an illustration. I'm losing my voice because of too much shouting this week. You see, paraclete is is a word that comes from the Hebrew or from the Greek, and we translate it in English to comforter. I made a mistake there. And counselor in the English is what they call it, the comforter or the counselor in the English, but but I think it's it's better mentioned as the cornerman. The paraclete is the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the, the one who is with us. You're in a dogfight with the devil every single day, but the Holy Spirit, friend, you need to understand, is your paraclete. And so I'm going to get Rima over here who's going to live his life like it's normal, and I'm going to be the paraclete because the paraclete is actually not a religious word. The paraclete is actually a military term that the Romans had. So every time the Romans went into hand-to-hand combat, they had a paraclete, and the paraclete would go with them, and the paraclete would have their back. The Roman soldier never, ever had to worry about what was behind him. He just fought hand-to-hand. So as he went about his life, walking around, dealing with things, he had the paraclete had his back. It didn't matter what was behind him. All he needed to focus was what was in front of him. And I'm hoping we're not going to fall down the stairs. And and the paraclete has the back. And so anytime the enemy comes with the past to try and destroy your future, the paraclete has your back. The Holy Spirit has got your back. Not only have you got Jesus in your corner giving you instructions on which punch to throw, but you have the Holy Spirit who's got your back. And every time the enemy comes to try to remind you of your past, try to remind you of what you've done this week, try to remind you of the sins that you've committed, you don't need to have your back covered. The paraclete has your back and he will protect you and he will keep you. Not only do you have Jesus in your corner, thank you, but you have the paraclete who has your back. You don't have to worry about your back. You don't have to worry about your past. He who's a sunset free is free indeed. The only thing that condemns you is the enemy. But when you've got the paraclete at your back, he can come any way he wants to try and stab you in the back, try to pull you back, try to get his hooks into your back. But he can't get you because we have the advocate, we have the counselor, we have the comforter, and he has your back. And it's not just a nice word, it's a military word, which means that he fights for you. He doesn't sit back. If you're being attacked, friend, you got to turn around and say, hey, Holy Spirit, clerically, can you fight a little bit harder for me this morning? Can you battle some of these things for me? Because he's groaning with intercession on your behalf. The Holy Spirit has got your back. And Jesus has got your corner. Listen to this great scripture. Isaiah 58 verse 8 says, Then your light 
shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and the righteousness shall go out before you. And listen to this. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Not only does God go before you, but he comes behind you. The glory of the Lord is your rear guard. You know, nothing can stand in God's glory. Not demons, not not anyone can stand. If God's glory turned up right now, none of us would be standing. But he says that not only does he make a way before you, not only does righteousness go out before you, but the glory of the Lord is your back guard. He's your rear guard. He's got your back and nothing gets through that. He is for you. He is not against you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one that goes with you and he will not leave you and he will not forsake you. And the cross, friend, was the Father's way of saying, I am in your corner. No ifs, no buts, and no ands. I'm there. No ifs. Oh, well, if you do this and this and this thing, God, no ifs. No buts, but, but, if God, but, but no buts, no ands, no ifs, no buts, no ands. God has your back. God is in your corner. God is for you. God is not against you. God is for you 100%. 100% he is for you. But if you only believe that 99%, that 1% of doubt will reduce or will undercut your complete confidence that God has you. It's all the enemy needs. It's just one doubt, one question, one thought. Does God really have me? Has God really got my back? One thought is all he needs. You know, in fact, God is not 100% behind you. He's 200% behind you. You know, I used to, you know, sometimes you go into workplaces and, you know, the boss goes, oh, I need you to give me 100%. Someone goes, I'm going to give you 110%. And you're like, what is that? You can't give more than 100%. Yeah, nobody does that. I'm here to tell you this morning that God gives you 200%. And not 200% just because there's two of them in your corner, but because you don't belong to God once, you actually belong to God twice. You, you don't understand. By virtue of creation, he, he loved you. And by virtue of redemption, he loved you. He made you and then he died for you. He loved you twice. He had your back twice. He created you and then he was there for you. It also proves that God's love for you is twice. That he was for you when he made you and he was for you when he died for you. He is 200% behind you. Not only does he love you when you don't know him, this is the crazy thing about God. And yet while we were still sinners or enemies of God, Christ died for us. He loves his enemies. He dies for his enemies. It doesn't matter whether you hate him or dislike him or don't believe in him. It's atheists say so they don't believe in God. That's okay because God doesn't believe in atheists. God believes in people that he created that he loves, and he loved you once when he created you, and he loved you twice when he died for you. He's got your back 200%. God isn't for you once, but God is for you twice. And the problem is this, friend, if you don't believe that God is 100% for you, perhaps it's because you're not 100% for God. 
Perhaps the problem is not God. Perhaps the problem is you and I. Maybe you're projecting yourself. You're projecting your insecurities. You're projecting your doubts onto him. See, my doubts are my doubts. They're not his doubts. I might doubt in what God has called me to do, but he's never doubted in what God's called me to do. You may doubt whether God really loves you, but he's never doubted how much he loves you. Don't you let your insecurities, don't you let your doubts, don't you let your past, don't you let your past push past the paraclete. Come on, friend. God is for you. He's not against you. And the only reason why you think sometimes he's not there for you is because you are sometimes not there for him. You know, I I say this all the time, and uh, Trinity will tell you I do this all the time. I've seen this time and time again in my own life and in other lives. The accusation always flows from a guilty conscience. Usually the thing we accuse somebody else of is the very thing that we do. And so often we'll turn around and say, God, you went there for me, and really, you went there for him. You doubted. You see, you've got to understand, friend, you've got you to put aside what you think. You've got to put aside what you believe and start living according to what he says. And what he says is, not only am I in your corner, but I got your back. I've got your back. Because it was 100% of Jesus on the cross and none of us. It was 100% of Jesus in the tomb and none of us. And it was 100% of Jesus that rose again and none of us. And you know what? It's because it was none of us that it makes us more than conquerors. In Romans 8.37 it says, Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through, who? Through, through, come on, catch up this morning, through, it should be on the screen behind me, it's not hard, through, H-I-M. Let's try it one more time this morning, like you believe it, for we are more than conquerors through, who what loved us? Who loved us? I'm more than a conqueror through him because of his love, not because of what I've done, not because of my love towards him, but because of his love towards me. And I may not be able to be 100% confident in myself, but I can be 100% confident in his love. And when I'm 100% confident in his love, then I become more than a conqueror through him. And those three words, more than conquerors, come from the Greek word called hypernikeo. And it means this, basically, it means hyper-conquer or over-conquer or to conquer with success despair or it means a defining victory that demoralizes your opponent or it means this, a lopsided victory. He's saying that when you trust 100% in his love, when you trust 100% in the paraclete's got your back, 
and that he's sitting in your corner. It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, but you are more than a conqueror. You are over-conquering. You are over-fulfilling. You are over-winning. You are having lopsided victories. I mean, I don't go around introducing to myself the people going, hi, I'm Craig, hyper-conqueror. I don't go around introducing myself like that. It would be weird, wouldn't it? I dare you go up to someone tomorrow at school and go, g'day. I'm hyper-conqueror, 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 hyper I tell your teacher, don't call me by Tim anymore. My name is hyper-conqueror. We don't go around introducing ourselves like that because that would be weird. That would be really weird. But the reality is this, friend, you and I are hyper-conquerors. That's who you are. When you look in the mirror, you are a hyper-conqueror. When you look in the mirror, you are more than a conqueror. That is what you should see. Yes, I know you'll look in the mirror and you'll see your imperfections. And I see my imperfections. But friend, you've got to understand something. Your truest reflection is not what you see in the mirror. Your truest reflection is what you see in God. Your truest reflection is what He says about you, not what you see about yourself. Because if it was about what I could do, then none of this would work. I have too many faults. I have too many failings. I sin too much. I have poor insecurities at times. I am not the person that should look at the mirror and go, there's a perfect example of a conqueror. But when I look into the Bible and see what he says about me, and that becomes the mirror of who I am, then friend, I am more than a conqueror. Not because of me, but because of his love for me. Because he's not on the cross anymore, and he's not on the tomb anymore, but he's at the right-hand side of God praying for me day in, day out. And if I'm ever worried about my back, the Holy Spirit goes, no worries, bro, I got that. I don't think we understand just how cool you are. You are more than a conqueror. So what makes us a conqueror? What really identifies us with being a conqueror? Revelation 5.12 says this in a loud voice that was saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You know what makes you a conqueror? Is that when we worship Him on earth, we join the chorus of heaven, singing, worthy is the Lamb. I know i got some sin in my life. I know i got some issues going on, but worthy is the Lamb. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that it's not about me, that you were slain so I could receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. Oh, I thank you so much, God, that when I worship you, I am doing the very thing that you need me to do. You know, the devil tried to take worship out of heaven, and so God replaced the devil with us to bring worship back into heaven. I want to tell you this morning, man, when you worship him in spite of your circumstances, in spite of what you think of yourself, what you are saying is that, you know what, it's not about me, it's about you. It's about what you've done. It's the fact that you died for my sins and you cleansed me. You raised from the dead and you delivered me, and you have my back, 
and you have my corner and you go before me and you come behind me and even when you tell me where to go in the front, you follow me with your glory from behind. That God is always with us. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. And because of that, even when the doctor says cancer, I can say worthy is the lamb. I can say worthy is God. I can say to the cancer, you don't understand. I got Jesus in my corner. I got the Holy Spirit at my back and they're interceding for me day and night and by his stripes, I am healed. Not gonna be healed, I am healed because I'm a reflection of the word of God, not a reflection of my circumstance, not a reflection of the words that you say because whose report will you believe? I'm gonna repeat, I'm gonna believe the report of the Lord that says that if he is for me, then nothing can be against me. Even when you feel like you're losing battles, friend, you're winning them. You're still winning. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. Christ has already conquered. No ifs, no buts, and no ands. I don't care what your ifs are. I don't care what your buts are. Although maybe some squats may help. But I don't care what your buts are or your ands are. He has conquered your ifs. He has conquered your butts and he has conquered your ends. And that's why we can go around like queens singing, we are the champ. Come on, help me out here, my friends. And what does he say? We'll keep on winning till the end. He doesn't say we just won once. For all the problems Freddie Mercury had, at least he understood when it comes to being a champion in Jesus that we always win. Even when we're losing, we're winning. Even when we're going through stuff like cancer, we're still winning because we're able to say, hey, friend, I don't know what's going on in your world. This is what's going on in my world, but I know that Jesus loves me and Jesus is for me. And I know even if this cancer takes me out in this world, I'm going to be free of cancer in the next one. What about you? I know that if I die tonight, I'm going to go to heaven. What about you? Where are you going to go? You see, I never lose. Death, it says no victory. Death is just the destination to heaven. It's the doorway to eternity. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. Christ has already conquered. Christ has already conquered, and we are the champions, my friend. And we'll keep on winning till the end. But we're only going to win if we decide, you know what? God, I'm going to let my if-onlys become what-ifs. I'm going to let my if-onlys become what-ifs. All those terrible things that have happened to you. Maybe you grew up in a home where there was abuse, alcoholism, sexual abuse, whatever it may be, horrendous stuff that you went for a friend. I'm not trying to belittle it in any way, shape, or form. But I know this, that if you'll let God get his hands on that, not only will he heal you and deliver you, but he'll allow you to use that so that you can see others set free. So you can see others healed. You see, we, we are not saved just for ourselves. I got reminded of that again this week, that when I have a breakthrough, it's so somebody else can have a breakthrough. When God heals me, it's so somebody else can be healed. 
Some of you here have had horrendous experiences in church. There are some horrible, horrible churches out there that proclaim to be Christian, but it's just some religious, legalistic thing that should be shot or nuclear bombed. Jesus ain't interested in religion. Jesus hates religion. That's why he's always having to go at the religious people. You notice that in Scripture? Never tells off the sinners. The sinners, it's like, hey, where are those that condemn you? I don't condemn you either. Go away, sin no more, to the woman caught in adultery. But to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you mongrels, you idiots, you whitewashed walls. It's the religious people that Jesus had a problem with. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's still the religious people that Jesus has a problem with. This is not... This is not a religious center. This is a relationship center. We come here because we want to connect with God. We want a relationship with Him. I don't want religion. I don't want religion. I want a relationship. I've seen religion in Malaysia. We have to smack their heads on concrete steps as they go out to the temple. Get stuff. I want a relationship where I can come in and have a coffee and then meet with Jesus. Because coffee is the pathway to heaven. With Jesus. Sorry. But we've got to get rid of our if-onlys. We, we, there's no regrets, friend. You don't have to have any regret in life. Because God doesn't believe in regrets. He believes in opportunities for transformations. But if we're going to have our regrets become transformations and we've got to live as if what he says is true. We can't doubt it any longer. We can't doubt our salvation. We can't doubt our healing. We can't doubt that he's for me. If we're going to have our if only's turn into transformations and we've got to believe that he's going to come through for us, that his word is true, that it goes out and accomplishes everything that it does, it doesn't return empty, that the great start that he started in you, he'll make sure it comes to an end in you. He's not going to leave you half done. And when you get to that point, then you can have a what-if faith where you start to dream about, what about this? What about that? I mean, I've started dreaming more. Like, you know, as know, we already have a dream about a daycare center on site for 100 children and and then a cafe, and hopefully a retirement village, and then a freedom center for people that can't afford to, where they can come and get counseling and nutritional advice and, and monetary advice, and, and that we'll subsidize that through the businesses that we have and make it affordable so that, that these people that can't afford counseling that have been sexually abused as a kid can actually come and find freedom. But I, I had a thought the other day, why just have one church that does that? Why don't we have about 10 churches that do that? Why don't we have one in Tekofara, and one in Tuakau, and one in Gisborne, and one in New Plymouth? Because Taranaki people need Jesus. My brother lived there, trust me, I know. What about Kerikiri? What about Kaitaia? What about Omaru? Why would we be selfish and just hold this to ourselves? Let's, let's dream. 
See, when you have your if-onlys dealt with because of as-if faith, then you can have what-if dreams. And the reason why you can have what-if dreams is because you know that Jesus is in your corner and the paraclete has your back. And you know where Jesus is every day. When you close your eyes, God, where are you? He's at the right hand of the Father praying for you, praying for your dream, praying for your marriage, praying for your family, praying for your finances. Oh, I wonder what the Holy Spirit's up to. He's doing exactly the same thing. God is for you 200%. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning?